Hey, this is Serial Novel Podcast, episode 101. Woo! Up. <laughs> we have Ed Davis with us, um, first time guest. Hopefully, we'll come back at some point because he's cool. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you have a, a Kickstarter starting soon? It or, started oh, already. Oh, yeah, 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 it started on Tuesday last week. And it's right now, I think it's like 90% funded. So, it's, it's making good progress. Nice. I should have known that because I think I backed it. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me just double check. Yeah. So, uh, what what is your uh, to do list with comic creation? My to do list with comic creation. Yeah, like I, uh, your. What do you do? What do I do? So yeah. I am the writer and publisher, kind of like all indie comic people. You you end up wearing many different hats. You know, you think I want to write a comic book, I want to put it out, and you put on a lot of hats you never thought you'd wear, but. The main one, I'm the writer, publisher, and of course, you have to put together the books and everything. But um, yeah, with this one, we're currently working at the same time on putting out issue six and putting everything together for a trade that'll come out shortly after we get done with issue six, because this particular issue will close out the first story arc of the book. Sweet. Yeah. Nice. I was just checking out the video on the uh, on the Kickstarter. It's pretty cool. <clears throat> do you uh, do you do the um, audio on top of it? I do. Yeah, I do the the narration, and then the song this time is by my friend's band. He has a band called Modern Time Machine. So I went when <laughs> I went to L.A. Comic Con. I was telling him, "Hey, you know, do you have any good instrumental stuff I can throw on my Kickstarter video?" So he sent me a bunch of instrumental tracks, and we used this one and. I haven't put it in my stretch goal um, section yet, but one of the things that people will get is when they get their digital copies, I'll send a full copy of that song for everybody. Very cool. Nice. That's yeah. uh. Hmm? Oh yeah. I've, I've seen people do that. Um, theme songs or like a whole soundtrack or something. Yeah. I know a lot of people, The I just did a, a podcast on Friday and everybody on there seemed to be a musician. So of yeah. course I didn't have much to talk with them about because I'm thinking I, I I can play CDs. That's about my musical skills right there. And they're talking about putting soundtracks and recording this and that and thinking that's great. Luckily my friend will throw a song for me. And normally I just go search for something in the public domain and slap it up there, something with the right tone. But actually in a more in a mortal era theme song and it's going to get debuted when we do the um the actual trade next I, I would say probably august or so Sweet. nice yeah, that's always cool that's something greg and i have talked a lot about is having um you know audio uh, additions to whatever it is that like you're doing for comics like whether it's you know even just narration over the comics uh in a trailer is nice but like Having some like audio feedback where like you're on a page like that might have a radio playing and you can be like, Oh yeah, this is the song that's playing. Like just little little things like that is cool. But theme songs are obviously awesome too. Like you're looking at the cover art and you have that theme song playing. Yeah, this one got 
got done for me by one of the people who reads the book. And um, he just basically asked me, what do I listen to when I'm writing? And it, for me, it's always post-rock. So that's always my my go-to thing, bands like Godspeed You, Black Emperor, and stuff like that. So he recorded a song that sounds similar to those. Actually kind of goes with the art. I mean, just like the whole vibe of the series. Yeah, I'd say so. And I, I, I'm sure it's it's become kind of intentional be, because when I write, it's pretty much always to that. So yeah, it becomes like, all right, it, the art fits and the vibe of the series fits with, you know, bleak post-rock music. <laughs> yeah, interesting question. When you're when you're writing, do you ever um, do you ever actually listen to music while you're writing? For me, all the time. I always when I start to write, I always for me, I need to go out on a run, usually a short little run, like two or three miles. And I'll put the music in my head. I'll put the music on when I start my run. And it's just to kind of clear all the cobwebs out. It's like I'm not mm -hmm. running for a good pace. I'm not doing the normal things I do where I'm staring at my running watch and obsessively trying to get perfect times. It's it's more just, all right, get all the cobwebs out. Let's get rid of the day's work. Let's get rid of whatever would have been there. And then I'll take that same music after I after I get, I usually go to the library when I do my writing because it's nice to have a quiet place where nobody's going to disturb you. And there it's always music. And I I spent, I mean, most of what I wrote was with, there's a, a live recording of Godspeed You Black Emperor where they played in this, this old church in LA. And I played that recording over and over again. So I'd say 90% of my book's been written with that in the background. And I don't even know how much I'm listening to it now. It's become almost all white noise, but without it, I can't get that concentration going no, that's very cool it's like a mood setter that, that's why i was curious because the fact that you said that it's it always uh is this type of sound i was curious and, yeah uh, and it's yeah. it's a mood setter but what i found is lyrics throw me way off if i hear something with lyrics the lyrics are what i start to focus on so anytime i do the writing it's got to be instrumental but classic music would would not same kind of mood that i'm looking for so it's always it's always bleak post rock that huh. oh, getting out a little bit <clears throat> gonna lose him did we uh oh, for me yeah. oh, oh there you are all right you froze for a second but uh yeah we hear most of what you said but i was gonna say that that's interesting because that's very similar to how um i used to work like i would have uh if, if i put music on the background with lyrics yeah like the lyrics pull you in like so you start thinking about them but mm -hmm. instrumentals are fine, but classic yeah. rock, or uh, was not classic rock, classical will put me to sleep. But I can yeah, listen to exactly. like, you know, heavy metal or punk instrumentals and have that in the background and it won't bother me at all. Uh, just because, yeah. yeah, it becomes almost a white noise. But mm -hmm. I, I think it's I think it's also the fact that um, when you're listening to that type of music, it might elevate your heart rate a little bit. It might get you excited. It might get you yeah. thinking about stuff. And I think that even if it is like white noise, like you don't really know what's going on, it's still driving something. Yeah, so, yeah that's very cool. Yeah, like funny. I think you're right. It's too lulling when you play the classical music, and I don't need to be lulled. I need I need focus. I need to be awake. That's actually funny because like I 
the lyrics don't really throw me off. Well, sometimes it, they throw me off because uh, when I'm typing, sometimes I'm actually typing the lyrics of this. <laughs> but uh, most of the time, I can listen to like a regular song of what, like whatever kind of rock music I'm listening to, and yeah. it's just like in my head while I'm typing. But that actually does set the mood. So yeah. if I'm doing a fight, I'm listening to like you. I don't know if you know the band Dance Gavin Dance. It's like a very oh, yeah. weird. Yeah. That's awesome. So yeah, so post hardcore. Yeah, so I'm listening <laughs> to like that, and um, then there's like a fight that's happening in the comic, and I'm like, this would sound really cool if their song was actually being played. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. I've I've done. I, I don't. I mean, in in that same vein, all uh, the band Thursday, they have a song Paris in Flames, and I wrote an entire segment just with that kind of, with that song in my head. So there's a there's a splash page where we see one of the characters watching the city burn. I'm, it's funny. I'm literally looking at that page right now. Yeah. He's holding onto a tomb uh, tombstone, yeah. looking at the city burn. He's he's holding the tombstone, listening to the like, looking at the city burn, and that song was kind of written with that Paris and flames in mind. So when I was writing that segment of the book, that was the one time I'm playing songs with lyrics, but it was kind of that song repeating, repeating, and yeah, so once in a while I'll do that, and usually it's you know something loud like what you're playing. <laughs> That's awesome. That's very cool. Do you yeah, ever get... I was just gonna say yeah, it's very interesting. I just like to because uh, that's actually although we've talked about music in other podcasts, I haven't uh, I haven't actually thought to ask that like what do people do while writing? And yeah. when you mention the music, that seems like something that I bet more than just one person does. I bet that's pretty common for people to have a certain mood setting music they put in the background. Obviously Greg was yeah. saying he does. Um, but yeah, that, that's just very interesting. Yeah. And I was, I was writing a very depressing scene that is now actually cut from this comic that we're editing. Oh, <laughs> um, it didn't make it, it in. No, but like I was listening to like depressing music on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you gotta find the right, write the right tone when you're doing it. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to shake the mood off when you do that kind of thing. Yeah. Because I was writing, writing a story with, I'm writing a story about this guy hunting a serial killer. And the tone of that, I mean, not that my story's, you know, bright and happy, but that tone was just different than I'm used to finding. And I, I finished it. I'm like, ooh, wow, I got to put on some comedies and just shake off the mood I had to create to write this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last year, I think. Uh, so I work security, so I do literally nothing. Mm -hmm. I, I watch YouTube or listen to music, and I can actually write there. Um, mm -hmm. Right now I'm watching The Sopranos for the third time. But, okay. um, <laughs> um, but I was watching Investigation Discovery for a good chunk of like last year and mm -hmm. i was while i was doing that i was actually writing the comic for our serial serial killer character that we have okay. so i was like oh and then i got like very very paranoid so i had to stop watching <laughs> <laughs> i actually did get like super paranoid i was going i 
got home from work in the morning and then there's this this random dude that's just at a bus stop but i was like paranoid that he was gonna do something he wasn't gonna do anything but like i'm like uh so i like ran inside and i like locked the door and i locked the other door that i usually don't lock my girlfriend was like what's going on like i'm like super paranoid there's a guy on the corner he's looking at me funny (laughs) you got you got it too deep in your head yeah i watched too much like john wayne gacy and all that Yeah, it's like watching Criminal Minds, and then you start start judging people when they do something. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, that seems suspicious. I think he's a serial killer. <laughs> I don't trust these guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. <clears throat> so uh, outside of music, is there anything else that – so you said you go for a run. You kind of got, got a clean slate with the music, and then you actually listen yeah. to music in a library while working. Is there anything yeah. else that you do to, like, uh, get in the – zone for writing or even beforehand or afterhand like you said sometimes it's hard to come out of it yeah i mean i think after is the hardest part because once once i'm in that zone it's good i mean you hope you can get in it because sometimes i'll try all those same things and you get there and it's still just you're staring at that that cursor it's blinking and nothing's coming out but once you get in that zone it's it's kind of i guess if i was writing happy stuff it wouldn't be such a problem but you have to find a way to get out of it. So it's like, all right, what can I do to get me out of this that I just had to get into? So yeah, it's it's pretty much whatever I can do that's the complete opposite of what I've been doing. It's like, all right, comedy, something light, and just something that won't make me think of, you know, desolate landscapes and serial killers. So it's just snapping yourself out of that because once you get locked in the zone it for me it's harder to get out of it but yeah i mean it's 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 good because those days when you feel like you're in the zone and you just can never get the words to flow those are worse but yeah once once in you just got to find some way to get out and usually it's you know put on something light and easy like okay let's watch an episode of the office or 30 rock or something like that to kind of break break loose of feeling that that desolation that I had to put it put my brain into yeah definitely and then uh the other thing is aside from the the mood setting for this work Mm -hmm. um I was curious what what other works in the past or currently out there have inspired some of the uh you know just the scenery in this like because I've looked through some of the the artwork, the little more demonic artwork where you got like, uh, uh, you know, the death like character, right? Like, is there, is there some, um, is there some film, other comics, uh, particular artists that have inspired some of this work? Oh, wow. For the inspiration, it kind of comes from a little bit of everywhere, but the main thing that kind of that lit the match for this series was reading Gulliver's Travels. And there's, he's traveling to these different islands and he travels to one where no one can die. And that got the idea in my head because he finds a, he finds an island where everyone's immortal, but they still age. They still get sick. And he sees people that are hundreds of years old can't think for themselves and they're just miserable. So that kind of started it. And then where it went from the comics world was just looking at someone like Garth Ennis who just is not afraid of anything he'll write whatever's in his head and he's not worried about offending you so i kind of took it there and then 
with the with the comic itself, the the artwork, I just looked for an artist who I thought had the attention to detail that would work for kind of all the stuff that I was trying to put together because in when it's all said and done, there's, you know, there's, I've already written it out myself, you know, my poorly sketched map of this entire world that we're going to see eventually. Right now, the, what we've seen is, is limited. We've seen the underground, which is this, you know, abandoned subway system where all, a lot of the people live. And then the city, which is, you know, big and crumbling and falling apart. So those are the two places we've seen, but this is just a tiny bit of the world. So I've had to kind of sketch lots more of it. Things like Mad Max have influenced some of the pieces in the world that we haven't seen yet, where you get that kind of barren desert landscape. So stuff like that, it hasn't been seen yet, but it's all on the horizon of the series because I planned it out to be a 30 issue series. So we're going to start once this first story arc ends we start to branch out into bigger parts of this universe and we see what's going on so you know a lot of those post-apocalyptic movies have all have all influenced places that we still have yet to see nice and uh the <clears throat> so do you you do the writing uh you don't do the illustrating uh coloring stuff like that correct I don't do any of that. So when you were looking for um, illustrators and you're looking for uh, colorists, just because uh, one of the things I noticed with the, specifically with the colorist is that mm -hmm. there's a lot of like grunge uh, background colors. Like, uh, yeah. th like there's like the, there's like a scene that's like blue and yellow, like crunched together and like mm -hmm. you know, red and black crunched together. Was there anything in particular you looked for when you're looking at these um, artists? Um, what I wanted for, the tone of the series I want not I so like for the art, I wanted it to have almost a 90s vibe because when I started writing the series, it was in the 90s and I wanted it to have that kind of a, a feel for comic books where it wouldn't feel too modern because a lot of the I mean, nothing wrong with digital artists, but I like that he's still working on paper, doing it that traditional way because it just has that feel I was looking for. And then for the colors, yeah, I just wanted it to have that that kind of grungy feel where it just felt like a dirty world. It's like yeah. it can be bright, but still feel just kind of ugly. And that's what I wanted it to do. Cause it's, it's a terrible world. I mean, this is the kind of world where no matter where you live in it, it's just an awful place to be. So the colors and the art need to reflect that. You don't want to look and go like, that doesn't look like such a bad existence. They're immortal. They live 200 years in the future. So they got some cool new technology. Sign me up for that. No, it's just the world that you look at and say, I would never want to step foot in this terrible place because wherever you're at is just an awful existence. <laughs> no, that's very cool. Yeah, I'm just yeah. like, uh, we actually are going to go like post apocalyptic way in the future. Like, mm -hmm. we, like for our superhero stuff, we have like yeah. a while to go for that, but like that's mm -hmm. going to happen. Like, I already have yeah. that out. Um, so you said you like mapped it out. Do you actually, you actually drew a map and like, I did it, it, it is God awful. And I, I, the few things I've had to draw and show my artists are just embarrassments, but it just shows <laughs> where this is. And, and it's still, I mean, this is still just a small piece of the overall universe that there would be. And I've talked to people about creating a series of, um, 
like an anthology series where it would just be tales from the immortal era and tell what's going on where you are. So, you, you know, you have an artist or a writer from Australia. We know what's going on in America, but what's happening in Australia? What's happening in Asia? So many parts of the world that will never be seen in this comic book. But I mean, everybody in the world is immortal. So there's all there's stuff going on wherever you're at. So I would love to see you know, just people take their own interpretation of what's going on because we'll never leave this, you know, even though it's a larger pocket, we'll never leave it. So I have the map of, I mean, and I, it doesn't even really have a name because in the series you see that basically they wrecked all the cities, they rioted and tore everything down. And then the, there's a few cities that were rebuilt, but most everything else is just wastelands of you know, crumbling, crumbled buildings, what's left of them. And there's people that live in all of this, you know, universe that I mapped out, but there's a larger world beyond it. So I'd love to see people's interpretation of that. That would, that would really be cool. Like, uh, you know, it, even if there was just like a seven part anthology, one, one in every country or a uh, continent of the world, but yeah. uh, even the one in the States, like in a different, a vastly different area. That would yeah. be a very, very cool idea to like be like, oh, that's what's happening here. And I, and actually, even more interesting would be if you could find uh, like illustrators from that area too, so that the whatever influence they might have just because they live there would be a little bit different too. Yeah, that that would be the best thing is to see actual illustrators from each country. You know, not just someone who thinks they're drawing a style of that, but someone who's actually from Asia, from Australia, from Europe, and have them bring their own style into it. And then I would want the writers to be from the particular countries they're writing about, because that was, you know, I kind of talked about it with a with a group of writers, and we said, yeah, like every writer, you're, you can only write about the country you're in. Oh, and then there's plenty of regions of the United States. So you could say, all right, you may be from the United States, but both of you are from completely different areas of the United States than I'm at. So you could write your own take on what's happening out that way. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like it would be very interesting to like, uh, cause even, even like, uh, yeah, the writing, but when you're illustrating and you want to draw a dystopian version of a place you've never visited, it's kind of difficult, but if you've lived there, you've grown up there and you could picture like, what would it be like if this was like wrecked, like you'd have a much better vision of that. Uh, yeah. just because you're physically there and the same with the writing like you know what what do you think would happen like you know the locals what would happen if you know things got crazy what do you think they would do would they be kind would they be crazy would they you know what would they do yeah so it, is, it is a very cool uh cool concept and like an anthology for that would be super interesting and if and, that, and that's something that you could definitely i think that would be a very cool Kickstarter to run too, because you're doing it for people all over the world. So it even yeah. has a broader reach of who would want to support it. It's a very, mm -hmm. very cool idea. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. It's something I'm hoping to get done by the end of the year. My, my, I've been kind of with a narrow focus of just getting this story arc finished, getting the trade out there and then branching out from there because yeah, it's, it's been just where I'm so close to getting this first arc finished. I just want to get that done. And then it's like I've been talking with people about it and have some interest. And I have some people even that said, OK, oh, I, I could write a cool comedy story about this concept of nobody being able to die. And I, I thought, yeah, because all I'm doing is, you know, just 
staying with the tone of my book, but a comedy would be funny to see because you could definitely take it into different places as well. <laughs> as you say, yeah, instead of even doing an, uh, you, you can do both. You can do an anthology around the world and then you can do an anthology based on if people reacted differently, like if everyone's, yeah. <laughs> everyone's funny and happy and they joke about it, everyone's sad and depressed <laughs> or everyone's like crazy and they're just like Mad Max and it to the extreme. Like, you yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> That's the, there's definitely a lot you could do with it, which is very cool. Yeah. So besides your Kickstarter and your comic series, um, before we pressed record, actually, we were talking about comic conventions a little. Um, yeah. We have not done one yet. We've been to, well, he's been to, Dylan's been to one more than I have, I think. But um, we we never really had a table. So yeah. we're going to ask a few questions about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> so... <clears throat> Um, everybody sets up their like table like differently. Um, mm -hmm. obviously. So, uh, do you have anything that like specifically people should have going to I think, table? I think the the key is it depends on how many books you have. When I only had one book out. I had to find ways to make my table look more interesting. So it would be posters. I bought t-shirts. I had hats, things like that. They never sold. I mean, nobody ever walked up to my, hey, uh, you know, I've never heard of your comic. How about I buy a t-shirt? But if nothing else, it, it brings the eye to your table. Because if you have a book on your table and nothing else, people are just going to walk right by. So my goal is always to have my table loaded with stuff. Now it gets easier when you get more books out, but I have, I still have shirts. I still have posters. I still don't sell any of them, but it's all things to bring you in. And one of the things that work for me to bring people to the table is I, I get my comic graded. I get CGC copies of it and you get those, those high end collectors. They'll come over to your table just because they see some CGC slabs on it. Mo I mean, actually, I, I can't say they don't sell because I do at most cons, I can sell at least one CGC book. Maybe some guy's prospecting and he thinks, oh, cool. If this series gets picked up for Netflix, I'm going to make I'm going to sell this thing for tons of cash. But whatever their reasoning <laughs> is, they'll buy it because it just kind of elevates you They're like, oh, wow, if this guy can get his stuff CGC, then it must be important because people don't realize that anybody can send a book into CGC and they'll grade it. <clears throat> One guy said, yeah. wow, I can't believe your your book's good enough to get graded. I'm thinking it's not that hard, but you don't want to tell <laughs> them. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I talked to CGC and they were willing to grade my book. And he's like, well, I got to get that then. So you have it, to. It's, it's actually interesting because even even if um even if it's easy, it is that the idea that <clears throat> if if you care enough about your work to submit it to it, right? Like, because not everyone knows about that. So like, yeah. For example, I didn't know anybody could send it there, uh, but like that's something that's that makes it so that you clearly know more because you've done more research in the industry, and that that alone means your comic book has more promise than other people's comics, right? True. Just for that sake that you've put more effort towards it. So it mm -hmm. actually is kind of cool. Like it still does actually have a a powerful effect. Yeah, and a rack full of CGCs, and then I have still like the posters different variant covers of the book. <clears throat> I have pins, things like that. And 
pins you'll find if you get pins for your stuff, they'll sell when to people who won't even buy them. There's just pin collectors out there, and they'll look yeah, up. Really? Oh, that that one is so cute. I love that character. And you know, you're trying to pitch them the book, like, oh, let me tell you about that character in the book. Like, no, no, I just want that pin. And it's like, all right. Yeah, I mean, I was, I'm sure Timothy. I'm sure Timothy Fling will agree later. Yeah, he's he's uh <laughs> he's been on our podcast a couple of times and he's talked about that. Like he, if if a um Kickstarter has a pin on it, he's more likely to back than if it doesn't, just because okay. he wants that pin. And yeah. it, it is it is interesting because it is it, it's kind of like um just old collectibles in the past, like you know, just having a huge uh collection of these unique things of that era, like you know, eventually they're gone. Like if you don't have them, like you know, so yeah, it, it is kind of cool. Like even if it's one off things and even if the comic doesn't get some Netflix series, like you have something very unique with a pin and it's very yeah. durable. Like, you're not worried about it getting worn down. It's it's metal, you know, for the most yeah. part. It's, you know, so it's gonna be lasting a long time, but that's very cool. So you have, you have graded comics, posters, variant covers, pins. What what else do you bring to the table? Um, I have shirts, and then I also have running shirts, and I've I've actually done okay with those because my my logo is a skeleton at trying almost finishing a race, but not making it there with finish line mm -hmm. comics. So I have that shirt and then you'll see runners, they'll come up like, oh, that's such a cool logo. And, you know, any marathoner or ultra marathoner can relate to that feeling of like, I may have finished the race, but that's about how I felt when I got to the end. So you tell them, oh, yeah, I sell running shirts of this. So you make them in the tech material that you could actually go out and run a race in and you'll sell those the same thing. They won't buy the book, but they just like the shirt. And I usually will wear the shirt when I'm running marathons and people will ask about the shirt. And I'm like, let, let me pitch my comic book at the same time. I said, but if you just want the shirt, you know, go on to my web store and you can pick one up for yourself. So little things like that that are working on a market that's not necessarily the comic book market. Now you're just you're feeding into the runner's market and runners just like a cool new shirt to be able to run one of their races in. So people will buy that, you know without any knowledge or care of the comic book. So you have to have things that will grab them in and your pin collectors don't need, don't won't, won't care about the comic, but they'll buy your pins. Your, your runners will buy that. And then some of them will end up buying the finish line comics poster just because they like that logo. So you got to try to think of markets outside of the comic ones. Cause if my comic, cause it's going to have a limited appeal and you know, some people come up and they're like, I hate bloody things and the, they open up to a page where a woman's getting her arm lopped off and there's blood everywhere. And they're like, Oh, thank you for giving me nightmares tonight. And off they go, but they might still buy a pin or a sticker. No, that's very cool. <clears throat> I also like the idea that you, you got running shirts specifically because it's basically that it's more on brand than it is that that's a better seller. Like it happens to sell because your logo matches that. So like yeah. that's like a cool thing to keep in mind. Like if other people, um, if if other people have I don't know some frigid version of something like a sweater might be a thing. Like if that's like the the theme of whatever you're doing. So I, yeah. I like that idea of like trying to match your merchandise to whatever your brand is and mm -hmm. and or what your what's in your comics. Like the you know the pins the pins are similar, but like having having a different clothing. I think that's a clever idea. Yeah, I guess your Arctic theme could have hoodies or something like that. Yeah. That's very cool. 
Um, yeah, it's interesting because, yeah, Greg and I wanted to uh, get into conventions. Uh, basically, mm -hmm. it was like 2020. We were thinking we were going to do it. Yeah, like <laughs> everyone. Yeah, yeah, we're like, oh, yeah, this will be the year. It's going to be great. And then, like, they're like, yeah, no conventions. We're like, oh, oh okay. Yeah. So we actually ended up creating our own virtual Comic-Con because we couldn't do anything else. Okay. Um, and so uh, that was – I think that was our first one, right, Greg, 2020? Then we did one in 2021. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah so – um, yeah, we did a uh, virtual Comic Con, and we're probably going to still do that every year now because it's it's we're actually getting more people to come to it. It's really cool. Mm. Um, the uh, the creators that we work with seem to like it a lot. You know, we get to just hang out. Like even if we don't draw a huge crowd, we all get to talk and hang out. So it's kind of one of those things where uh, it's like a hangout session by the end of the year. Uh, yeah. There's not like really any conventions going on around that time. We do it like mm -hmm. the, I think it's like the weekend after Thanksgiving. It's, yes. Yeah, I, I remember you were doing it, and I was working that San Diego Comic Con special edition that weekend. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, yeah. And we had more viewership, obviously, than San Diego. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> this thing is just like millions of people now. <laughs> but uh, I yeah. saw that because I was I was going to join you guys for it, and then I got approved and. Oh my gosh, San Diego! You'd think a con that's been running that long would have their stuff together, but you know, they're, they're you know two weeks before. Like, oh, by the way, here you have a table. So, yeah, it's it's been crazy. And WonderCon, I'm about to do that April first. It's the same thing. They're so slow in letting you know what you have, and it's like, man, if, I, I'm local for both. I can just drive. But if you needed to travel, if you needed to fly. That yeah. puts you at a huge disadvantage. I mean, I if I got the and I did get that, I think for Utah, they sent me an email two weeks before saying, Oh, by the way, you have a table. I'm looking I can't pull that off. Yeah, now, I was gonna say I have actually heard that like, the the larger Comic Cons, they like if you're a big creator, like they're really like they're like helping you out like a year in advance. But for yeah. a lot of the independent creators, yeah, like that's very last minute. I've heard that before, like uh, for the New York Comic Con as well. Like it's, mm -hmm. you know, they're, 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 they work really well with the big guys. And then like yeah. if you're an artist alley trying to get some stuff, they're like <laughs> last. They're like, oh, yeah, I forgot you guys are coming. <laughs> yeah. So, By the way, yeah. you got a booth. Show up and yep. bring a check. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, you got a booth and we've already charged your account. I hope you can make it. <laughs> yeah, there was a guy that was on our uh, virtual Comic Con last year, Enrique. Um, he goes by, uh, I think it's Q, Q, or he has a show on Instagram and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Enrique Lopez. And, uh, he actually like was on our virtual Comic-Con, but like, I think a day or two before that he found out he was doing like E2E2. Oh, wow. He yeah. He didn't know until like <laughs> very like right before our virtual comic con he's like oh i, I, I guess i can announce that and i was like oh that's cool. he's like now i gotta figure out how like i'm gonna get like hotel and all that stuff yeah to new york and so that brings us to that um you have to travel um there was a person that actually reached out to me like a year or two ago and mm -hmm. I, I, we didn't do comic cons yet so it's just funny that people like ask us questions about that that's one guy that was he, that used to be on our platform, but he's not on there anymore just because he's doing his own thing. Um, mm -hmm. He's like, yeah, for my Kickstarter that I want to do, the biggest reward is going to be uh, send two people, the two people that like choose that tier. That's if people mm -hmm. choose the tier. Yeah. Um, would go to Atlanta Comic Con or whatever. Or the, mm. 
some comic-con that's in atlanta and i was like oh yeah. that's cool um did you figure out like all of the math for that and he's like no and i was like hmm. yeah you got to figure out like hotel and then you get are you going to pay for their hotel and he's like oh they could pay for their own hotel i was like what i want to, I want to put a little asterisk in there then yeah <laughs> yeah all of a sudden that's a pretty crummy tier if you're having to pay for all the pieces to get you there because then it's like all right i could just buy my own tickets and yeah, Expedia yeah. probably go a lot cheaper yeah, like his highest tier on his, that was going to be on his Kickstarter, and I don't even think he ran it. But um, okay, yeah, because it is—it's one of those things where, like, if you like, yeah, you know, like they do international tiers sometimes, and they'll do regular tiers just because, mm -hmm. like, international tiers might be difficult for shipping. I, yeah. I'd get that for like, you know, maybe you you'd be willing to buy a a localized large convention like oh do you live in new york i'll pay for the ticket of the new york convention because it is like 80 dollars or something so that's still a really big deal um yeah. but not book the flight in hotel but only if they're local so you know yeah. instead of going hey i'll bring you to this comic-con and you might be mm -hmm. anywhere in the states like that's a, a really big difference if they have to take a, a car or they have to fly and if they have to stay overnight because they can't just fly back or if they you know because uh like when i went to um, the New York Comic Con. I was in upstate New York. That was like mm -hmm. you know a four-hour drive. Like that's not yeah. bad at all. Um, mm -hmm. I went there, spent the whole day there, and then I drove back. Right. And so if someone had bought me that ticket, I would have been jacked for that. But if they bought me yeah. a ticket for San Diego and I had to fly out there, you know, it'd be really cool. But now I got <laughs> I got to fly out there. So you know, it's going to be expensive, especially like now because yeah. uh, you know all, I was actually just looking at flights earlier that the the flights seem to be going up in price probably because of like gas stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I, I saw that too. It's it's one of those things. But I think if you had if you had extra San Diego Comic Con tickets during a real year of San Diego Comic Con, you could put that as a tier because those are. Oh, really it's impossible to get. Yeah, like yeah, I tried so, to get them. I think two years in a row I couldn't get them. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, if you're an exhibitor there, you can buy extra badges. And if you said, okay, I got two badges for San Diego Comic Con, that could be a tier. Shoot, you could make tons of cash on that because nobody's able to get them yeah but it, you know for just at that one you don't even need to offer the hotel or anything you're just like hey i got two tickets for san diego comic-con five-day passes so oh, i was actually so, yeah i just realized too the deal. the exhibitors can get can get basically randomized ones meaning they can give them to people but like the uh like if i bought a san diego ticket i can't just give it to someone that's registered to my name like they don't know it, it'll have your name the exhibitors yeah. get extra exhibitor badges yes. that's they, what i was saying yeah yeah they they can give those to anyone because they're just exhibitor ones and they also yeah. the people would you know the you'd end up selling it to some ebay scalper because they get on the floor earlier with that and they'd just be lined up at mattel or hasbro and be like all right I'm going to put my kids through college for this, for these Comic-Con <laughs> tickets. Yeah, for real. Yeah. It's so weird too, because the, uh, the New York Comic-Con is actually a larger convention now. Like it's bigger. There's more people, mm -hmm. there's more events, there's more everything, but I think it's just the like nostalgia and the, uh, what's it called? The limitation of the San Diego Comic-Con that's making it so desirable now, because like yeah. I said, for like, I think I signed up one year and I tried to get it, but I, I think I was like a couple weeks late. Um, yeah. for, cause like you have to do it like a certain amount of time in advance. Cause I think they run background checks on people. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after, then a whole year went by and I tried to do the next one, but it was like, oh yeah, you have to, uh, here's like the early, like there, so I forgot what it was. Like they, they do like an early ticket sale. Early bird sales. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I missed email for that like last week or something. Yeah. And I think I was at work the, the, the time that it happened and then I went to get it. 
and it was like I, I I went to get it after work, so it was already like it had already opened and started, and they were all sold out. It's like if you don't oh, do yeah. it immediately, you can't get it. So yeah, I guess that that would be a cool tier, but yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. <laughs> cool. Well, Greg, do you have any other questions? Um, I don't think so. Um, well, Ed, Ed, do you have any other questions? Are you or anything you want to shout out to the world? Not right now. Just hopefully people want to check out the book and head head to my Kickstarter. Try to pick up an issue. I have back issues. You can get all the issues together if you want to get the catch up tier. I have that for digital or physical. So hopefully, yeah. I mean, my goal right now is to just get and keep readers because if you want to write a long series, the goal is just gaining readers the the whole way along. And you know, the first first campaign, you're not really gaining readers. You're just getting pity from your family and friends, and they're throwing <laughs> the money to give you that help. And now it's you know trying to build on that and get actual readers that continue to move along with the series cool. nice uh well i'll drop your kickstarter link in the description when this goes live which is, will be wednesday um yeah so it'll be on our youtube and it'll be on anchor so which that goes out to like spotify and all the other places so cool uh thanks for coming on and yeah yeah thanks for having me i appreciate it yeah, it was an awesome conversation. <laughs>